the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider. And just a note before we look at the news, in the interview segment, Tune in to part two of my conversation with Canon Philip Gillespie, rector of the Pontifical Beta College in Rome, a seminary under the auspices of the bishops of England and Wales. Last week we looked at the Beta's history, where it got its name, and the curriculum of the seminarians. This week we look at where the seminarians come from, the importance of being an international seminary, and of studying in Rome. We also talk about the four pillars of formation at the Beta, as seen in St. John Paul's Pastores Dabo Vobis, and we learn some wonderful and funny, but also some sad news about the nuns who have staffed the college for 60 years. So stay tuned for that. Now, the news highlights of the week. Sunday, January 2nd, at the first Angelus of the New Year, Pope Francis encouraged the faithful to invite Jesus into their lives, especially the difficult areas where we struggle. He reflected on the true meaning of Christmas, recited in the traditional Marian prayer, The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Tuesday, January 4th, the Vatican released the Pope's message for the 30th World Day of the Sick on February 11th, 2022. In it, he urged Catholics in church-run institutions to continue efforts to heal and to soothe the wounds of those suffering illness. This year, the theme is, Be Merciful Even As Your Father Is Merciful, Standing Beside Those Who Suffer on a Path of Charity. Pope Francis expressed his gratitude for the great advances in health care and pastoral care of the sick in the 30 years since St. John Paul instituted this day. He also recalled that many people still live in areas that are poorly served by health care systems and pastoral outreach. Francis noted that the annual celebration will take place in St. Peter's Basilica rather than in Peru as originally planned due to the ongoing health crisis. The message comes a few short months after the Pope's brief hospital stay at Rome's Gemelli Hospital following a scheduled surgery on his colon. Tuesday, January 4th, the Vatican released the Holy Father's prayer intention for the month, namely for those who suffer persecution. Wednesday, January 5th, Francis presided at the weekly general audience. In an historic first, the Vatican announced that morning that as of today, Wednesday, 5th of January, men and women, religious and lay employees of several dicasteries of the Roman Curia, will be present at the general audience for the reading of the greetings in various languages. In fact, an English-speaking employee of Vatican Radio and a Spanish-speaking nun from the Secretariat of State performed roles usually done by Monsignors from the Secretariat. Pope Francis reflected on the fatherhood of St. Joseph in his continuing catechesis, and he prayed that all children might enjoy the bond of paternal love, even if through the praiseworthy practice of adoption. After the catechesis, members of the Ron Roller Circus performed for Pope Francis, including acrobats, musicians and jugglers, and even some flamethrowers. Thursday, January 6th, was the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, a holiday in the Vatican and in Italy. In his homily at Mass in St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis spoke about the pilgrimage of the Magi to Bethlehem and what motivated them. 
As they followed the guiding star, they were filled with expectation, and they were seekers after God. This spirit of healthy restlessness, he said, was born of desire. And he said their secret was this capacity to fuel the fire that burns within us, looking beyond the immediate and visible. Francis stated, we are what we desire, and this desire for God enlarges our gaze, strengthens our faith, and moves us to serve him, our brothers and sisters, and the common good. Brothers and sisters, as it was for the Magi, so it is for us. The journey of life and faith demands a deep desire and inner zeal. Following Mass, Pope Francis presided at the Angelus and reflected again on the Magi who visited the baby Jesus, calling them models of humility. Their prostration before the newborn babe is the sign of those who place their own ideas aside and make room for God. Thus, they are open to worship God. The treasures they open are images of their open hearts. Their true wealth does not consist in their fame, their success, but in their humility, their awareness of their need of salvation. After reciting the Marian prayer, the Holy Father sent his greetings to Orthodox Christians and Eastern Rite Catholics who celebrate Christmas on Friday, January 7th, according to the Julian calendar. Also Thursday, the Vatican released Pope Francis's message for World Mission Day to be marked October 23rd, 2022. This has been celebrated by the Church since 1926. The 2022 theme is, You Shall Be My Witnesses. Francis reflected on three foundations of the life and mission of every disciple. The first is the call of every Christian to bear witness to Christ. The second foundation is to the ends of the earth, and that's the challenge for modern Christians to proclaim Christ to those who have not yet encountered him. The third foundation, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Friday, January 7th, Pope Francis that morning received a group of French entrepreneurs, and he spoke to them about how to implement the gospel values in their businesses. The 90 French businessmen and women are in Rome for a pilgrimage on the theme of the common good. To help them in the challenge of the common good, Francis highlighted two pairs of concepts based on gospel values ideal and reality, and authority and service. These concepts always seem to be in tension, he said, but the Christian, with the help of grace, can unify them in his or her life. Let's look forward for a minute to this weekend, when on Sunday, January 9th, the Feast of the Lord's Baptism, Pope Francis is scheduled to baptize babies during Mass in the Sistine Chapel. Well, those are the week's highlights, but now stay right here and learn more about the Pontifical Beta College as I speak to the rector, Father Philip Gillespie. And have a great weekend. Welcome to the Q&A. Time today for only a very brief Q&A on the meaning and origin of the word epiphany. The word epiphany comes from the Greek epiphaneia, meaning appearance or manifestation, and it refers to the manifestation of Jesus Christ to the world. The Feast of the Epiphany is also known as Theophany, or Three Kings Day. Most dictionaries offer some or all of the following definitions of Epiphany. A usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. Another definition. An intuitive grasp of reality through something such as an event, usually simple and striking. A third definition, an illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. 
The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us the Epiphany is the manifestation of Jesus as Messiah of Israel, Son of God, and Savior of the world. The Great Feast of the Epiphany celebrates the adoration of Jesus by the wise men, the Magi from the East, together with his baptism in the Jordan and the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. This is Michael Drollman, Communications Director for Core Christi Broadcasting in Central Washington State. We rely on Catholic Radio to send the gospel message to listeners in our area. We know people who have come into the church after listening to the excellent apologetics programming we provide. Catholic Radio, a great tool for evangelization. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the global Catholic network. To ask, why should I pray, is the same as asking, why should I raise my mind and heart to God, since that's what prayer is. But when stated like that, it's pretty obvious. We need to pray because God is He to whom our minds and hearts are ultimately directed. Union with Him is our ultimate destiny. Without prayer, we lose our direction to God as our ultimate end, and thus set ourselves on a path that leads back into the slavery of sin. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and part two of my conversation with Canon Philip Gillespie, rector of the Pontifical Beta College in Rome, a seminary under the auspices of the bishops of England and Wales. Last week, we looked at the Beta's history, where it got its name, and the curriculum of the seminarians. This week, we look at where the seminarians come from, the importance of being an international seminary, and of studying in Rome. We also talk about the four pillars of formation at the Beta that were inspired by St. John Paul's Pastores Dabo Vobis. And then we talk about how COVID impacted life at the seminary, and then learn some wonderful and funny, but also sad news about the nuns who have staffed the college for 60 years. Now, at the current moment, tell me how many people are studying here? What countries are they from? At present time, we have 31 studying with us. Um, I'd say about half are from England and Wales itself, but uh, Scotland and Ireland, um, Australia, um, Goa in India, uh, we have uh, Africa, and we have Sweden. And oh. that, that, so we're, we're quite a melting pot. I guess. Um, but that, part of the beauty of being an international college is is just getting those fresh perspectives. Absolutely. Because the danger is we always think that the needs of the church are simply the needs that we see in our country. And naturally we need, we need to concentrate on that. But to have the, the perspective that's given from other um, churches, uh, that, can, that can assist us in... Putting, putting back into the right order 
and the right perspective are our own needs. Oh, it's fascinating. And when you travel, obviously, you know, as a Catholic, you look for different places to have mass and you connect with. And as a journalist, I've, you know, connected even with a lot more people. But the, the culture, the language, how music may even be done mm. from one country to another at mass. And um, I know when I came to work at the Vatican, that was the real eye-opener because I came from the particular church in America. For like I was born and raised in the Diocese of Chicago. But now here I was in the Vatican meeting priests and nuns and lay people from around the planet. Absolutely. And, and it was such an eye-opener to talk to them about it can be Christmas, you know, because we're in the Christmas season now. It can be Christmas customs or, or, or Easter or just how the church does First Communion. Mm -hmm. But so the enculturation is, is amazing. And, well, that kind of brings me to my next question. Um, what are the advantages, or maybe we're answering it without knowing it, of studying in Rome, of being a seminarian in Rome? I think the whole idea of um, seeing the church in its universality, um, and being able then not only as an individual to grow, uh, but also then to take that witness back to our own diocese to allow us to quite rightly concentrate on the particular church in which we're called to exercise our ministry, but always in, always in a very real way to see that in, in communion with churches and dioceses throughout, yeah. throughout the world. When I came to, to the college... As I say, I'd, I'd been parish priest for four years on the Isle of Man. And one of the little journeys I had to make was about a 17-mile round trip each Sunday between two of the churches, two of the parishes, which I thought was a long distance. Sure. <laughs> I then listened to the Australian students oh, yeah, the who <laughs> were telling me of trips that took them several hours to do and having to stay over yeah. before travelling back. Or even I heard a couple of days ago from one of the um, the priests who was ordained last year in Australia that they'd been suffering with with very heavy rain. He ended up having to be helicoptered um, to one of the churches wow. that he was going to. Again, distance uh, is relative. <laughs> every church is different, and adaptability is a great gift. Oh, for sure. That's adaptability. Adaptability in life yes, is, a, is a necessary item, actually, you know. Yeah. Now, I was fascinated by another aspect when uh, about the formation here. You mentioned four pillars that were outlined by Pope St. John Paul in Pastores Dabo Vobis. And I have to, you're going to tell us about those, but I have to tell you, I had one of the single honors of my life working at the Vatican by being one of the translators from the original into English oh, of Pastores Dabo Vobis. So um, I, I remember, I think I prayed, I, every line I wrote or translated, mm. you know, but anyway. So tell us about those pillars. Well, thank you for doing all the praying, <laughs> because uh, the human, intellectual, spiritual, and pastoral aspect of who we are as um, as people who grow into our ministry and into our service are not simply during the seminary years but actually I've found that, that even in parish ministry to actually say how do I lead and guide and walk with this particular community I've found those pillars or dimensions as the, the new ratio 
translates them. Um, I, I find them, them very helpful that we need to grow humanly to be in touch with our own, our own being, our own giftedness from God. Reminded again of, of John Paul when he said that what we need is experts in humanity. Yeah. Well, first of all, we need to understand our own humanity. Well, he was one of the greatest experts in Absolutely. humanity. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, the spiritual, the pastoral, um, the spiritual as relationship with God and with others, the, the pastoral as that translating almost into into action and into the... Well, what, what the present Holy Father would, I think, refer to as, as, as the spirituality of encounter, uh, the mm-hmm. encounter, which is the time we give to others, the the genuine interest and care that we have for them, um, and how that can express itself in very practical terms. The intellectual, I think, is very interesting because sometimes, especially when people come here at a later age, you know, it's it's a long time since they've sat in a classroom, long time since they've written formal essays. Sure. And I just say to them, I said. An aspect of intellectual formation is the academics, and the academics is very important because at the ordination rite for priests it says, know what you are doing. And I don't think that's simply liturgical or ritual. I think that's an awareness just of the great privilege that we have of sharing our, our, our faith and sharing the, the faith journey of others. But also the intellectual formation, and I think it... it, it picks up the question you asked earlier about what is the, the benefit of, of studying here in Rome. I think there's the whole ability to to be enriched by the cultural heritage of such a an ancient and venerable city. Yes. And to be able to carry that within us, not so we then impose it where we find ourselves in ministry. We can't just do something in the same way in a parish as we do it here in Rome. But the principles and that openness to the universality, I think, is is something which is a, a precious learning. For sure. And that's part of our intellectual formation as well. Oh, that is wonderful. I've learned something sad today from you, and that is to say that the wonderful Franciscan missionaries of the Divine Motherhood, who have been here for 60 years, they are about to leave. So tell us about that. Yes, very sad that um, the the sisters began when we moved to this site in 1960 here on Viale di San Paolo. Um, And since those days, they've ministered to the college in in such diverse and, as we were saying, adaptable ways, not only working in the kitchens and the library and the lavanderia, but also helping students for whom English is not perhaps their first language, they've been able to bring some of their skills as teachers as well as nurses uh, in different parts of the world. They've brought those gifts to bear. Sadly, the the leadership team, which is based in in the south of England, have decided that that they haven't got the people that, that they could send to continue that mandate. And so in June of I was going to say this year, but it's still, yeah. strictly speaking, next year, they'll be drawing their, their mission here to a close. It'll be a be, be great sadness. And oh, a, of course it yeah, will. It'll be, it'll be a hole. Well, I wish them a good future. I met one of them as I was coming into the building, and uh, obviously you, in searching for, for uh, new missionaries, if you will, 
to come here, but you, you do have to tell us the story. I was hysterical when I read this. You have to tell us the story of Sister Asunta. Sister Asunta, who, who at the moment is in the retirement wing of, of their convent near Godalming, Ladywell Convent in the south of England, she was here um, for 1960, 20th of October 1960, when Pope John XXIII came to formally open the college building. And the sisters um, were taken by a Vatican security guard and locked in the porter's lodge because he thought that they were a security risk. <laughs> and it was only when the, the then vice-rector, Monsignor Witte, uh, actually said, no, no, they're actually part of the family. They're part of the, 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 the college family. Uh, they, were, they were released from the, uh, the conclave, wow. so to speak, and uh, they were able to meet, uh, meet the Holy Father. Well, he must have had a good laugh because John Twenty-Third had an amazing sense Absolutely. of humor. He was the first pope I ever saw um, uh, was in his presence as a student in 1961. And then over the years, well, with the beatification, I did all sorts of specials for EWTN, and I did research. And, and one of my favorite stories of humor, I could do a half an hour just on John uh, the Twenty Third and his humor. One of my favorite stories is, as new pope, all new popes like to visit offices of the Roman Curia and so forth. And, and he had a particular love for prisoners and for ill people. So he wanted to visit Holy Spirit Hospital. So the arrangements are made, the papal car pulls up, the uh, nun who runs the whole shebang is, you know, comes down the stairs to greet him, and, uh, and good morning, I'm Mother Superior of Holy Spirit. And he goes, well, lucky you, I'm just the Pope. <laughs> so man, many wonderful Very stories good. about John. So um, now, Father, as our time, you know, kind of draws to a close, let's you have to have joys and challenges, you know, obviously in this position. We haven't talked at all about COVID. How has that influenced, just a small way or a big way, life actually here at the college? Well, in the first lockdown, which, which seems ever so long time ago, but really it, you know, it's quite recent, half of the students returned to their diocese and they continued their formation um, online. Sometimes people call it virtual, but it always strikes yeah. me as an odd phrase because yeah. you're not dealing with virtual people. Yeah, you, you, right. You're dealing with very, very much flesh and blood with all the emotions and the difficulties that, that those months pose to us all. So that the community here in college was actually uh, very small. We were only about um, 15 or 16 students. We are blessed here with having uh, a spacious college yes. and also spacious gardens Yes, because, of course, the lockdown meant that we weren't able to go out. And I'm sure some of the, the, the neighbours looked on us quite enviously because they only have their small balconies to, to, uh, to, be, to get some fresh air. Oh, yeah, you've got two fountains, lovely gardens, mm. a tennis court. I mean, so physical activity was possible. But if you lived in an apartment building... Physical activity was walking from the front to the back of your house. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. This this last um, full year that we've had, and uh, indeed these these last couple of months since the beginning of, of the present year, uh, academic formation year. Yes, we've tried to keep, and we have kept, thank God, all the um, the protocols and, and the necessary uh, restrictions that that uh, we've been living under. Um, but here in Italy, 
thank God we, we've, uh, we've been able to see around us uh, people who have been taking this very seriously. And um, although there's the great sadness um, of, especially the north of Italy, having been so, so oh, badly affected tsunami of, in those yeah. early months, um, it's, it's been a, a difficult, tough, but it's been difficult and tough for everybody. Sure. Um, here in college, we've been blessed by students who have taken things very seriously, uh, very calmly, um, and have made the time, yes, very different, but, uh, but we've been able to continue. Yeah. And we did continue right through, the, uh, right through the first lockdown to maintain the cycle here in college of, of the formation programme and also for those who had returned to their individual diocese. Oh, sure. We were able to keep in contact with them. Well, and then a lot of the colleges really were, the pontifical universities were really closing down their courses simply because of not being allowed to have huge numbers of people gathered. That's so right. Right. You, you couldn't go to work. You and I were talking about this earlier. You couldn't go out of your apartment unless you carried a government document. You had to show you were going to go to the grocery store, a doctor, the pharmacy, or oddly, a bank and a newsstand. And you could go to work, but you had to prove it was essential. That's right. That's so, right. I mean, they, there were places, not just Italy but elsewhere, that didn't even see faith as essential. So we had churches. Churches were closed down for liturgy, but not if people wanted to visit. Private prayers. Yeah, the, there was a you know, to and fro with the government about that in Italy. And so they were only opened after three months in May, May 18th of mm. last year for, for liturgy. But anyway, so. I mean, we were very fortunate here because, in that sense, we were self-contained, sure. both as regards our liturgical celebrations, but also as regards our, our academic formation as sure. well. No, you had the, the whole package, which was so wonderful. And just the idea, I kept thinking of people like yourself, the uh, the seminaries where Mass was ongoing and people could get communion. Mm. I actually surprised myself the first day after three months that I went to Mass. It was in St. Peter's. And I got communion. The minute I received it, I burst into tears. I don't think I... I, I I learned a great lesson about mm, myself that day. Absolutely. I really, and it was a happy lesson. So, well, on a happy note, we will close. And I should have said halfway through our conversation, of course, reminded people that I've been talking to Father Philip Gillespie, who's rector of the Pontifical Beta College, the a seminary in Rome. So many blessings on you and yours, and have a beautiful Christmas, New Year's, and let's hope for a COVID-free, or anyway, lesson 2022. Absolutely. The Italians have that lovely phrase, tante belle cose, which means many beautiful things. Many beautiful things. So that's that's my wishing to you and and to all your listeners. Thank you so much for this time and this wonderful information. And God bless. Thank you. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.